Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, AP Human Geography. Welcome to uh, the Unit 5 Test Review. So um, I'm doing the sync session, but I just feel like I'm going to be going very quickly through a lot of information. So I figure I can take my time a little bit with a podcast. And then if you want to listen to it, uh, you have the opportunity. If you don't, you don't. So you might not be hearing this. But anyways, if you are hearing this, uh, I'm going to go through the review uh, for the the Unified test uh, that is on our ethos page. So you can check that out uh, if you want to. All right. So uh, we'll get started here. Uh, First up there is subsidence farming. And I think most people are pretty familiar with what this is. Um, there's a couple of things under it. So that means it shows up a few times on the test. But like, first off, what is it? It's a, a practice where farmers will focus on growing enough foods just to meet their basic needs. Okay. So they're not looking to, to grow a whole bunch to go off and sell. Uh, they just want to have enough to eat for them and their families. Maybe if it's practiced in a small community, maybe enough for their small community to share out and things like that. Uh, but really just being self-sufficient. Okay. Uh, where is it practiced? Uh, a lot of times in some of the developing countries that we might look at, especially those rural places uh, that exist in there. Um, so, you know, think of like sub-Saharan Africa, uh, parts of India, uh some places in Southeast Asia, I think Southeast, uh, like Cambodia. Um, so yeah, places like that. Okay. In some of the more developing countries, uh, how did it affect early civilizations? Um, so by starting to grow crops, so moving from hey, we're going to roam around where the animals are and we're going to, to start putting down roots, that's important later, but we're going to grow crops. That's a huge deal. Okay. Uh, by making it to where they could grow their crops, grow their food and have a stable. And that's one of the key things there, a stable and sufficient food source uh, for their families and their communities. Uh, they're able to, to stop the moving around. They're able to stay in one location uh, and start to build up the communities, build up the cities. And that's, what's going to lead to, to some of those things. And then the forms, um, you've got shifting cultivation, um, and we'll talk more about this a little bit later, but this involves like clearing out, think of the slash and burn uh, that we've talked about, where uh, clearing a piece of land, okay, um, and then moving from one place to the next uh, and just kind of doing it over and over and over again. Uh, intensive subsidence farming, all right, this is the type of farming that involves uh, you cultivating a small plot of land with a high amount of your labor. All righty. And once again, you're, you're just looking for enough food for your family. And then nomadic herding uh, takes place a lot of times in the, the drier places. Okay. Uh, And it's taking your herds of whatever livestock we're talking about uh, and just moving around, looking for the best land for the animals to graze on. Where is their source of water and things like that. All right. Shatter belts. 
this is regions that are caught between uh, some kind of conf conflict, uh, external forces, maybe political, maybe, uh, well, maybe probably political would be the best way to look at it. And um, there's fragmentation, there's competition for um, the different, like, the two sides of the pol political game, however you want to look at it. But it's a place that's going to be caught between those external forces. All right, contributions to growing crops. So some of the technological advances um, y'all are probably aware of, like mechanization. You know, you've got the tractors, the plows, the harvesters, uh, all those kinds of things have made it so much. Uh, you know, farming's a hard job, but obviously when you have a tractor and harvester, it's much easier to, to, to plant your crop and pull your crop uh, than it used to be. Okay, biotech, some of the genetic uh, modifications that have been done uh, to crops that have like made some of the crops pest resistant, um, don't have to use as much fertilizer, uh, disease resistance. Yeah, there's even some that are drought resistant because of the biotech. Uh, irrigation, being able to bring the water from a long distance has made a huge deal. Um, so that's the big ones. All right, early plant domestication. Domestication, yeah. Uh, so according to this guy, Carl Sauer, S-A-U-E-R, uh, it involved taking the, the root crops and, and putting them down. So I, earlier I, I made mention of, of putting down roots, uh, and that's kind of what they, they did. They figured out, hey, we can grow these crops, uh, and a lot of it involved the, the root crops, not the, the crops that are going to grow above the ground. So think like a, a carrot, that's a root crop. Uh, and things like that. Uh, where was it located? More than likely the Fertile Crescent, which is going to be the Middle East, um, places like modern-day Iraq, uh, Iran, if you're familiar with the map. Um, you know, those are going to be where a lot of that early, early domestication took place. Shifting cultivation, uh, what is it? So first off, uh, this is where uh, you have a plot of land, you clear it, cultivate it, then move off of it for a while. Uh, and this allows, you know, we talked about in one of our sync sessions about how uh, when you plant the same crop over and over and over again, uh, it robs the, the ground of its nutrients. And so by doing this, by leaving plots abandoned for a, a year or two, uh, you can come back and, and the, the plot of land has kind of recovered from the, the growing season. Uh, common and tropical regions. Okay. And where is it practice? Like I just said, in mostly tropical in subtropical areas. Uh, so what are the reasons for, or some of the reasons for the loss of farmland? Um, urbanization is going to be one of the big ones. So expanding to cities uh, and then the cities expanding out, uh, that's going to lead to a loss of farmland as cities need more and more land. Um, they just become these big sprawling places that just eat up land basically. Uh, land conversion for non-agricultural uses. So Think of some of the things that farmland is converted uh, for. You know, some of it deals with the urbanization stuff. But <clears throat> you know, if you're building a big factory, uh, you need a huge plot of land, and so a lot of times the farms are the places that have that big pieces of land. So uh, other infrastructure projects, you know, dams, roads, uh, things like that, uh, are going to be some big reasons. Twentieth uh, century farming and developed countries. So. In the 20th century, uh, there was a huge transformation 
because of the technological advancements. And so uh, agricultural practices are really going to shift, all right, uh, because of that. Um, some of the, the big things, I already talked about the mechanization. <clears throat> the machinery becoming a thing is going to be a huge deal, all right? Um, just you can't, you can't underscore how much uh, of a big deal it was to get some of the, the machines to doing the job of the farming. All right. Uh, agribusiness, commercial farming is going to be a big deal. We, we're going to start moving from, hey, here's my plot of land. I'm going to grow enough for me and my family, plus maybe a little bit to get to market to where now agriculture is this huge multi-million dollar business. All righty. Uh, the Green Revolution, talked about it. Uh, it begins in the mid 20th century uh, and it's going to start yielding these high uh, yield crop or a lot of crop variety, um, improved irrigation uh, and things like that. Uh, all of that is going to lead uh, to some of the changes. Uh, next up is plantation differences from other commercial agricultural agriculture. Uh, so probably the big thing um, is the land or the large, excuse me, let me take a step back, is the large scale operations. So plantations are going to be this huge, huge thing, uh, large scale operation. Um, and that is going to be the big, one of the big differences um, for, for how different plantations are from other commercial agriculture. Uh, it's just the huge scale. Uh, they're going to be a lot bigger than your typical commercial agriculture. Now, you don't get mixed up. Uh, commercial agriculture can have huge plots of land, but just the the vast majority is not going to be the huge thousand, two thousand, three thousand, five thousand acre land um, that we might think of. Commercial agriculture, you know, is going to encompass the small farms, the small uh, plots of land where people grow, you know, and then they'll take it to market. But they're not going to be as big as some of the plantations are going to be. Uh, what's next? Uh, other forms of commercial agriculture. So you've got the mixed crop and the livestock farming. Uh, that's going to be a thing. Dairy is going to come into play here. Uh, next up is the seasonal migration of livestock. Okay, so that's a traditional agricultural practice. Uh, and it's what it says it is. It's moving your herds around. Uh, to different places. We've already talked about the nomadic herding and things like that. So people will move their their cattle, their whatever livestock we're talking about, uh, from to wherever the best place is. So wherever the grass is growing, wherever the water is is, is running, uh, that's going to be a big thing. All right, the types of agriculture. So you've got the subsistence agriculture, which we've already talked about. Commercial agriculture, uh, that is the larger scale not as big as plantation, but on the larger scale, uh, where it's primarily you're selling, you're growing and selling your 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 product. Okay, uh, intensive agriculture uh, that is at high effort, high labor uh, to get as much out of the land as possible. Extensive agriculture uh, that is low impact, low uh, what you call it uh, labor. <coughs> Pastoral nomadism. Uh, I think this is pretty easy to understand. Uh, this is, once again, go back to that, what we've talked about already a few times. Uh, it's just moving around, okay? The nomadic lifestyle is where you're moving. You're at an FRQ uh, on this. 
uh, and you're moving around looking for your grass, uh, fields, whatever it might be, uh, and a source of water. All right, we'll take a break. Be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, welcome back. So I'm picking up with the second agricultural revolution. Uh, so this is going to take place mostly in England, Britain, the UK, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the 18th and 19th centuries. Okay. And uh, I realize I say, okay, way too much. Uh, anyways, it's going to lead to better agricultural practices, uh, more modern, more efficient methods. So a couple things, uh, enclosure is a thing that happens during the second agricultural revolution. Uh, and that's where you start to enclose these large fields. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with fences, hedgerows, wherever it was. Crop rotation, starting to realize, hey, we need to, to grow different crops uh, in different places uh, in order to maximize the nutrients of the, the, the soil. Uh, let's see, new crops come around. You start to see some mechanization, mechanization not stuff we th see in the 20th century, but, you know, the, the tools become more technologically advanced uh, for the time uh, and things like that. All right, problems facing farmers in developed and developing countries. So the big one is surplus production. Uh, they face a lot of, a lot of problems, uh, but the one that they kind of have together uh, is going to be that surplus production, where if they make too much, that's a problem, because if they make too much, can they sell you know, surplus is where you have too much. There's not enough demand for your product. And so you have too much and it's just sitting there uh, and rotting. Okay. All right. I'm trying to go through and make sure I find the next thing. All right. Rural residential pattern in agricultural areas around the world. Really weird. <laughs> it's like, when I say weird, like just uh, for a review question. Um, so we're looking for nucleated here, N-U-C-L-E-A-T-E-D. Uh, and this was one of the first things we talked about. Uh, this is that settlement pattern uh, where everything's going to be kind of clustered closely together. All right. Uh, so instead of it being the, the big giant farmland, it's going to be everything's close together. Uh, wheat domestication. So you, know, you don't think of having to domesticate um, some of the plants, but... Uh, we did, and um, it's taken those wild grasses and, and turned them into, you know, the different wheat varieties that we have uh, and, and can eat. Uh, and it is one of the you know, major crops that's out there already. Uh, it's probably going to have started in the Fertile Crescent uh, in the Middle East. Diffusion and the Columbian Exchange. So cultural diffusion, remember, uh, that is the mixing uh, the mixing and matching of cultures uh, and the Columbian Exchange. Just remember, you had uh, the New World, so the, the Americas being discovered for the first time by the Europeans. And uh, just the, the goods going back and forth is all this question is getting at. And the crops, you know, there's, there's, I can, there's a list, I think the map has a list of all the different crops that they're going to exchange. That's what it's getting at. Uh, let's see, Von Thuen. 
rural land use model. So we talked about this, I want to say um, the week of January 28th or so. Or so yeah. Anyways, uh, Von Thunen uh, developed this theoretical framework and it is looking to explain the spatial arrangement arrangements of the different agricultural activities. He develops this back in the 1820s. So 1820-something or other, I can't remember, not really important when. Well, understanding you know, how different it is today from when this was developed. Uh, but basically, the agricultural activities are going to grow around the central market, the central city, uh, in this model. Okay. Um, <coughs> so the innermost rings are going to be the ones that really have to be close to um, the market. The, the market is where everything grows out of, and then you got these circles. All right. Um, so the innermost ring is going to be the things that are perishable. Perishable means that, hey, this could go bad. So I got to get this to market as quick as possible. So think of dairy. Some of your fruits and vegetables, you know, if they sit around for a while, think of maybe your parents have bought some bananas because everybody was eating bananas and then no one eats them and they go bad in like three days or something like that. That's what we're talking about here. So I uh, need to get these things to market as fast as possible. Uh, and then as we go out from the rings, you get to where we can have things that last longer and longer and longer. So like lumber, uh, you don't have to get that to market right away. You can take a couple of days, you can take a weeks, months, already. Uh, grazing land for your animals, that doesn't have to be close to the market. Uh, so it's just this spatial arrangement of getting things out. Okay, the market town, uh, that is going to be uh, where the business takes place. That's the central market, already. Uh, and it's where everything grows around that. Uh, let's see. We already talked about the innermost circle of his market, of his mo of the model. Uh, that's the closest to the, the central market. Uh, and it is the perishable crops. Uh, let's see. Choosing commercial farm products. Um, so this is going to be influenced by the spatial organization of agricultural activities. And uh, the model is going to suggest that farmers make decisions about what to produce what to produce based on trying to minimize transportation costs to the market. All right. Um, so once again, that's going to, you know, the perishable stuff is going to play into a role here. Hey, I'm close to the market. I can grow this crop that, you know, goes bad pretty quickly, but I can get it to the market really quickly from the time I harvest it versus, Hey, I'm pretty far out. I need to grow this. I'm a little bit further out. All right. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's see the primary sector economic activity. Uh, so, the primary sector is the segment of the economy that's involved in the uh, extraction and production of raw materials. And it, you know, whoever's a part of this is going to take it right from the natural environment. Um, and it is, you know, going to be things like agriculture, forestry, fishing, uh, mining, things like that. Uh, it is where the resources for pretty much all the other things uh, come from. Cattle domestication. So uh, this is going to take place during the Neolithic Revolution, and um, it is really a transition from hunting and gathering to that settled agricultural spots because, once again, hey, we start to grow crops. Now we also realize, hey, if we take some of these animals, we can keep them here, and we can you know, keep them close by, and we can harvest them when we need to. So uh, a pretty big deal there. All right, let's take another break, and we'll be back in just a second. 
All right, welcome back. Try to wrap this up with this uh, thing. No more breaks here. So the next question or the next topic is why divide the world into agricultural regions? Excuse me. So um, this is going to allow uh, us as geographers and just you know people in general uh, to kind of analyze and understand uh, the distribution, the characteristics, and patterns of all the different agricultural activities that take place uh, in different parts of the globe. So, you know, think about it. Uh, there's things that we can grow here that aren't grown elsewhere. Things are grown elsewhere that aren't grown here, is not grown here, uh, and things like that. So uh, it just allows us to kind of say, okay, this is a subtropical region, so they grow this, versus this is a cold region, so they grow that. And so it gives us the, those kinds of things. Um, all right. So... <laughs> I was going through making my notes for this, and I, I looked at the hog production number thing, and I was like, what was I talking about? What's the test question? Uh, and I think, if I remember correctly, it's going to be some a chart or something like that. Um, no, it's going to ask you about, like, where would hog production take place and whatnot. Uh, the numbers, I don't think, really matter. Um, just understand that uh, going back to that, hey, breaking the stuff up into regions. So there are places that grew, that have livestock and hogs being one of those things uh, will happen more oftentimes than elsewhere. So, uh, for example, you know, having harvesting hogs and things like that will take place more in the, the American Midwest, the American South, places like that, than it would in like the, the Middle East or something like that, because the, the environment's better off, not better off, but better for, uh, you know, raising pigs and hogs and things like that. All right, the the stages. So the question on the test is very specific. Uh, you got to know the five stages, so be sure you're you're aware of them. Uh, first up is the age of pestilence and famine. Okay, uh, and this is the early stages of, of human history. Uh, very little development. Uh, populations are going to experience uh, high mortality rates here because of all the infections, because of the famines, because of the epidemics that are happening. Alrighty, uh, life expectancy during this stage is going to be pretty low, and uh, a large amount of the population is going to to give in to the infectious diseases. All right. Next up is the age of receding pandemics. Uh, during this time, we start to see some improvements in society. So sanitation is getting better, uh, nutrition, living conditions, just overall are going to become much better, uh, and that's going to help with the decline in some of the infectious diseases. So a lot of those infectious diseases are going to come from the fact that you know we didn't know any better, we didn't know to throw away our trash and things like that. Um, the decline in infectious diseases um, we'll see. Uh, so even though there is an uh, a decline in infectious diseases. There is an increase in chronic diseases and non-communicable diseases during this time period. Next up is the age of degenerative and man-made diseases. So we're further developing along economically and technologically and just becoming better and better and better uh, and better about sanitation and those sorts of things. But we have chronic and degenerative diseases becoming more prominent. Okay, so lifestyle-related risk factors like diet, physical activity, uh, tobacco use, things like that become uh, significant contributors to our disease burden. Uh, next up, the fourth one is the age of delayed degenerative diseases. Uh, so we have advances in medical science now. We have healthcare. Uh, we take preventative measures uh, to try and stop some of the, the diseases that we've made and that uh, have become a problem. Okay, and uh, we're going to this will we'll see life expectancy really increasing here. Uh, populations, you know. 
we benefit from all the the new medical advancements and things like that. So we're living longer. The fifth one and final one, the age of behavioral and lifestyle related diseases. Uh, so in these developed, highly developed societies, there's a focus on managing preventing diseases associated with some of our lifestyle choices. Uh, so public health is going to emphasize health promotion, uh, disease prevention, uh, and things like that to, to get rid of some of those lifestyle related uh, diseases. Okay, next up is the Hindu sacred stories. Uh, those are the Vedas, so that's what they're called. Uh, capitalist industrial versus capitalist commercial. So capitalist industrial refers to the sector of capitalism that's pretty much focused on industrial production and manufacturing. So if you see capital, capitalist industrial, that's what that's going to be. Uh, capitalist commercial, on the other hand, focuses on the commercial or trade aspects of capitalism. So, hey, capitalist industrial is production. Capitalist commercial is more of the you know, trading uh, of the, the whatever it is. U.S. agricultural policies. So let me give you a couple that the U.S. has. Uh, some things like encouraging farmers not to grow certain crops, which are in excess supply. This is going to be a big one. <clears throat> From back during the Great Depression era, uh, the agricultural, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. AAA, I can't remember what the, the three A's are. But anyways, they would go around and they would you know, pay farmers to not grow crops because there was too much of some of the products. Uh, paying farmer subsidies when commodity prices are low. So, hey, you're not going to sell this for very much in the market. Let us supplement your income. That's what a subsidy is. Uh, and then buying surplus agricultural products from farmers to give to different groups, um, you know, whoever it might be. Basically trying to get, a, trying to get money uh, into the farmer's hands and kind of reduce production because production is too high. Uh, Abraham Levitt, so uh, his name is on the test. Uh, he's going to be associated with the Levitt Towns, which is uh, basically the start of the suburbs. So him and his family were construction people, and they came up with the kind of the cookie cutter houses that you see in some of the pictures from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, let's see, developing countries, types of agriculture. So subsidence agriculture is one of the big ones. Uh, Smallholder agriculture, uh, some cash crop farming. Uh, those are really the big ones. Shifting cultivation criticisms. So shifting cultivation and some of his criticisms, I said it all like at the same time. Uh, the big one's going to be deforestation and habitat loss. Um, you know, when you do this, you're you're basically slashing and burning places, and you're getting rid of, you know, uh, the you're you're destroying the environment basically. Okay, um, and it has there's a lot of consequences uh, for that. Uh, U.S. agriculture as a percentage of the labor force, so it's small at this point, probably. Under 5%, 2 to 5% be my guess. U.S. farms and the food production industry, uh, this is going to play into the world of agribusiness. Okay, so basically that is what uh, the agriculture sector has turned into is this agribusiness where that is what we're, that is what they do. That is the only thing they do is they, they deal with the crops and the livestock and things like that. Asian farmers uh, practice what type of farming? Uh, mostly intensive subsidence. So uh, that is where they have small plots of land. And they have a, a lot of work to do, and they're only growing enough crops for their families. Crop complex, uh, combination or system of crops that are grown together in a specific agricultural setting. So you are kind of complementing the different crops together. Um, George Perkins Marsh's book, Man and Nature. Uh, so this was first published in the 1860s. And uh, this is going to be kind of the 
introduction to environmentalism almost. All righty. Uh, he is going to be concerned with our impact uh, on the economy. And so you know, talking about deforestation, <clears throat> soil erosion, uh, things like that. Okay. He's basically going to argue that our actions, human driven environmental changes are going to have big problems. Agricultural practice by the largest percentage of the world's population is going to be subsistence agriculture just because there's so many people that practice that versus people that are involved in plantations or commercial farming. Private sector, I think that's pretty easy. Uh, owned and operated by private citizens, private individuals trying to make a profit. Uh, commercial agriculture versus subsistence agriculture. I think y'all should be good here. Um, you know, commercial, you're looking to make a profit. Uh, subsistence, you're basically looking to live. Some of the major grain exporters uh, around the world, the U.S., Russia, Canada, Argentina, places like that. Biogenetic engineering in the Plain States. Really weird question to me. Uh, why it's on here, I don't know. But uh, it allows them to meet the, the biodiesel fuel industry's needs. Uh, to tear, to tear, to, I'm, a, I'm not going to be able to say it now. I had it in my brain, now I can't. Uh, to tear, to the sector economic activities, T-E-R-T-I-A-R-Y. I can say it, like I can say it in my brain, but it's just not coming out of my, my mouth. Sorry about that. Uh, but this is the service sector, okay? Uh, it is going to involve, uh, provision of services rather than the production of tangible goods, Okay. Uh, and it is, it's a huge part of our economic activity already, uh, as it does a whole bunch of things like retail, um, hospitality, things like that. Uh, IR36 is a variety of rice. Uh, it is a high yielding rice and it was developed, um, because of that. So they, they kind of messed with this rice's whatever they do, genetic code or th whatever, uh, to make it yield more. Finally, luxury crops. Uh, this is high value, non-essential agricultural crops. So think of like coffee, you know, we don't need, well, let me take that back. I need coffee. I drink like three cups of coffee every day. Uh, so I need it to get by and get through my day. But if I was to come off of coffee, I would live, right? Tea, chocolate, you know, all these things are, are farmed and they're a huge part of the economy, but they are non-essential. They don't really contribute to our well-being. Uh, and then map skills, there's a lot of maps on here where you have to look at, read, interpret. So take your time with those and make sure you're good uh, as you read through them. Uh, there's a few charts, graphs, things like that to take a look at as well. So just be aware um, you know, as you go through that you will see uh, some questions uh, on some of the maps and whatnot. All right, best of luck. Always reach out if you need anything from me, uh, and uh, good luck on the test. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.